And so one of the ways that 2020, I guess, has shown us some gems is it shows you a lot about what you built before you got here, you know? And if you built up a good nesting, if you built up sort of goodwill and kindness and faithness and everything else like that, then this is a time where you can really settle and cash those things in in a meaningful way. From The Grio, I'm your co-host, Dr. Christina Greer. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Jason Johnson. And this is What's In It For Us. So, Jason Johnson, I love being here with you. Today, we're going to talk about kind of what 2020 meant for us politically. We had some deaths of some really important Black figures in our lives and in politics. Um, some great things happened. We have a Black woman who's going to be our Vice President of the United States of America. So I've heard. And then let's just go ahead and recap what's been going on with this presidential race and everything in this never-ending election. How about that? So I feel like having a Black woman in the White House is going to be a very interesting discussion for time going forward. I'm going to be really interested to see if Senator Harris ends up being as much of a cultural icon as not just Barack and Michelle Obama, but even Joe Biden. Like Joe Biden became a caricature when he was VP. I wonder if that's going to happen with Senator Harris. I will tell you, 2020 politically has to be the strangest year of my entire life. Mm -hmm. And there will be entire books and dissertations written about 2020. And as we're counting down the days to this year, we're just hoping that the aliens don't show up just to tell us that like y'all thought you were done and now we got aliens which and I have to mention this this is so key so like I don't know if you saw this there was this whole report that just came out where this former member I think of Israeli intelligence he came forward and he said that there are aliens and that like they've already cut this deal with the world and that Donald Trump knew and I remember saying to myself I was like if they were aliens Donald Trump would have told us already he would have dropped that before the end of 2020 right so the larger question is what's in it for us So Jason, something that came across my timeline, and I was really busy that week, so I didn't text you immediately, but essentially it turned into a big brouhaha war on Twitter about the game Uno. Mm. And so as we've all been trying to buy Black for the holiday season and throughout the year, obviously since so many small businesses are struggling, I thought it was interesting because so many of us grew up playing this card game called yeah. Uno. And what made me laugh, because Black Twitter remains undefeated, was essentially Uno was saying, here are our rules. And there were many Black people typing into Uno saying, no, you all just make the cards, we make the rules. And so someone said, and this is what took me all the way out. It said, whenever you play Uno with a Black person, because we did promise you audience that this would be a very Black podcast and we were talking about things that are for us and about us. For us, by but us. But someone yeah. said, whenever you play Uno with Black people, the first question has to be, so how are we playing? Right. <laughs> right? Like, right, what are right. the rules? Yeah, like, yeah. Because I play Palsy Staxies. And so my brother-in-law from New Orleans calls it stacking. So basically, if I put down a draw two on you and you have a draw two, you can put down a draw two as well. And then your brother can put down a draw two. And if my sister doesn't have a draw two, then she picks up six. That's how oh. I play it. Yo. So this is how Black people have to sit down because regionally, I, sort of geographically, and based on your age and sort of how much of a hustling family you come from, right. all the rules are different. Like, can you skip somebody? But if I have a skip, you can't skip me. I'm putting down my skip. Right. So we talked about stacking. It was like, can I hit you with a draw two, a reverse, and a draw two? Like, can I hit you like twice and bring you back? Some people get really mad about that. I was like, that was actually pretty standard in my home. Or like yeah. the draw four, the draw four. Now you guys are doing this thing where the next person ends up with like 27 cards. That's right. Just keeps going in we would only do it twice. That's right. But see, here's the thing. I don't play draw two, reverse, skip, draw two, unless we are clear about it, right? Right. Now I will say this, and this is what was so beautiful about it. 
because the two of us can't just sit down and play a game of Uno. Because oh, no, no, no. all of a sudden we're going to be scrapping. I'm going to take off these fake bamboo earrings. I'm going to try and snatch your glasses. Because I'm like, wait a minute. We didn't establish that you can hit me with a draw two or reverse and a draw two. Like, that's not fair. See, that is also part of the cultural game. Because part of the cultural game is starting to play with somebody when you know you don't establish the rules so that you can be halfway in the game and start hitting them with stuff. It's like, <laughs> we didn't establish that. Oh, that's how we play at home. That's, that's how we play. That's how we play. Now? That's what we're doing. Now? So you quit? Like, there's a whole game of not telling people what the rules yes. are in your home. Well, so we got the same thing with Scrabble and Monopoly. That's my and, whole and family listen, has like- And we play bid with. So like, don't try and roll up in here without making sure we know what's going on. What I thought though was fascinating, and this is what made me so happy in these kind of turbulent times, is that Uno actually does have a very clear rule book. <laughs> like, I have never seen an Uno rule book. We have written these things down. And it was black folks who were like, I don't care what you wrote down. Right. Like, this is how we play. I did not know. One of the rules is you can only play a draw four if you don't have any other options. Are you serious? So like, if you have Uno and I'm going before you and uh -huh. I want to make sure you don't go out and you put down, say, like a green four and I have green cards in my hand or I have fours in my hand and a draw four, I can't just put down a draw four to make sure you don't go out. I actually have to play the greens or the fours. I was like, says who? I have says never heard of that. Chrissy. Never heard of it. Black folks were like, never, no, okay, that's ridiculous. Off. This is like a Chappelle sketch where they should have like a black person go into the room of like Uno headquarters and tell them how this game, like, cause what these people think, they, it's like the people who made the Timberlands. What you yes. think you made is not how it's living out there. Like you thought you made some hiking boots. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. You showed up at Q, Kappa Q cabarets and everything else like that. Uno needs to have, they need to hire a black czar to come in <laughs> several and translate and an angry nine-year-old and seven-year-old nieces and cousins who always want to change up the rules because they play one way at the kids table we play another way at the adults table they yes. need a whole collection of black family them to tell them how this works and then i want to see some black uno cards what i think is so interesting is that so many of us come from households where we've played these games but now our nieces and nephews and a younger generation actually has a whole new set of games that they oh, play yeah. they're actually black owned they have black board games i mean like i will be honest i had a board game from the Duke's a hazard. Don't know how I had it. Don't know who bought it for me. But like black kids actually are growing up with black history games that are from black owned companies. They're wearing, you know, this is from a black owned company, my little Snowtorious. All right, you right? Stand up see it. Snow, 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 Snowtorious. <laughs> and here I am. I got Tommy from Power. Christmas yes. is canceled. And, Christmas you know, we spent a holiday black together. Black owned, black produced show. That's right. And when we spent a holiday together and we played Black Card Revoked, Yes. Now, that video was of a this fascinating that I'm not game. To put online. There's video yes. of this game of me and Dr. Greer and several people playing that can't be put on. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no. What I love about Black Card Revoke, though, is that so many of the questions are open-ended. It actually does lend to friendly family debate. Certain there answers. was an excommunication. We had this whole argument about, like, who was the best rap group. No, I, I thought it was R&B because like, we were talking about Jodeci. And... Oh, yeah. It was Jodeci. It was voice to men was one of their options. And then it was something about like who had the best singing voice. And there was an argument about like whether or not Whitney could actually sing, which I thought was highly offensive because Whitney can actually sing. I mean, I was questioning Janet. That's I'm questioning fair. Janet. That's fair. Like we've all come to no shade to Janet. We can't pretend that Janet can sing. She could carry a tune. 
she can let's, say, let's, let's just, wait a while, but you know. So these are the honest conversations that black <laughs> games bring out in us, you know, yes. like who's the best black dad? It's like, well, listen, I love good times, but I don't think that James Evans was the most patient dad. Like I'm oh, just no. gonna put that. He's like, no. every episode I thought he was gonna like burst out of those tan corduroy pants. And I'm like, James. children to death, yes. So I think the moral of the story is so many black people now have options to support black folks. Like you can have your black owned candles in the background. Mm -hmm. You can have your, you know, black cookbooks where you have your new recipes that are a little healthier than what our grandmothers used to make. We can have our black owned clothes on. I have to tell you this about this cookbook thing. So my barber, shout out to my barber. Carl. Wait, you have a barber? Jason, you're bald. You know what? I don't need this violence. My, I no, I'm, I'm like, this is a legit no, question. No, I who's shaving so your head? I Save still your call money. him my barber because he's like my lifetime barber. My barber in Cleveland, Carl, who's on Lee and Harvard in Cleveland, right next to the hood in Cleveland. He is still my barber. Like every time I go back to Cleveland, he's my barber. He's the first guy who started using a blade on my head. He's a wonderful guy. Great storyteller the whole bit. So this is a funny thing about like black cookbooks and stuff that I have to say this. So during like the Great Recession, the economy is still kind of bad in Cleveland, Great Recession. Carl was telling me, we were watching some show on TV. He's like, you know what? So there was this white lady on television on like Good Morning America. And she was like, I made this cookbook for the recession and for difficult financial times and blah, blah, blah. And they were all like, oh my God, these recipes are great. It's like, this is how you can make beans last, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. He's like, I don't understand it. I said, why? He's like, she's getting all this attention for a cookbook. My wife made that yesterday. He's like, like white people are just discovering how to right. make some hot dogs last seven days. And he's like, it's always amazing to me that when we go through times of financial difficulty and black folk go back on the things we've always trusted, it gets Columbus by mainstream white culture. And then suddenly somebody's saying, I made this and now she's got a bestseller. His wife should have been on the show. Yeah. Well, I think that just goes to show us that, you know, things that we've been doing, other people discover way late and yeah. we're like, okay. Thanks, but no thanks. Shout out to all the great barbers out there who basically are A, family members, B, therapists, C, doctors, and just like a safe space for a lot of Black men to be, especially our brothers with bald heads. Um, and shout out to my dad's barber who he's been going to for 52 years when he graduated from college and got his first job at DuPont in Wilmington. He knew no are one. Serious? And 52 so years? he's been same going barber? to, the, even when we've moved, um, he's been going to the same barber. <laughs> and I finally met him and he knew everything about me. He, he wow. knew my dad before I was even born. So he knew everything about me. And he's like, your dad's proud of his baby. But when I tell you it's in the hood, I mean, it is in the H-O-double-D hood. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dad, I'll just wait in the car because my dad doesn't have a lot of hair. He's like, no, you won't. So okay, so we're going to wrap. Wilmington, Delaware? Wilmington, Delaware. Did Corn Pop ever go there? Did Joe Biden show up with Corn Pop? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll ask my dad. All right. So per usual, we're asking. What's in it for us? So Jason, this year was filled with a lot of loss. You know, not just loss of a way of life, but sadly, a lot of Americans and people across the globe have lost loved ones. A lot of Black Americans have lost loved ones because the coronavirus is affecting us differently. And then we lost a lot of Black leaders and civil rights figures who have really paved a way and laid a foundation for us that I think we're still processing, right? Because the work that they did, sometimes it was more quiet work, you know? And we just are the beneficiaries of their sacrifices. And we're still processing their loss whilst also processing, sadly for a lot of people, personal loss. Right. And we know that if you look at the data, Black Americans tend to cremate their loved ones at far lower rates than any other group of people. And so the funeral for us is a celebration. 
right? I mean, usually there's a little drama. Gotta love the little drama. A but little after bit, the funeral, the repast is popping, right? Yes, yes. I love some basement church lemonade. I love the fried chicken by the lady who has like the big bosom, right? And the soft string beans and that slamming mac and cheese that you don't know, right? You're eating mm. it on a styrofoam plate, which should be illegal. And there's always hot sauce that in a church cracks. basement. And right? the hot and sauce gets in the styrofoam plate. So the yes. patient's like they You're like hot. sneaky yeah. eating <laughs> styrofoam, but you don't care because it's like, whatever, it's not that often. And so, but the thing is, it's a communal expression of love and and grief and sadness. And we haven't been able to do that, not just for our loved ones, but for people who really did sacrifice so much for Black people they never even knew, right? right? And I just thought that we should take some time to reflect on not just the older civil rights leaders, but, you know, even someone like Chadwick Boseman, who was on his way to being a great leader. Oh, yeah. And then let's also be clear, the year sort of started for us with the loss of Kobe Bryant. And I think that threw a lot of us off yeah. kilter, right? Yeah. Because for at least people like me, he was my age, yeah. right? I remember when he took a brown-skinned Black girl named Brandy to prom, when he could have taken anybody else because he was about to go to the NBA and be a superstar, but he took a brown-skinned Black girl to prom. Like, I won't ever forget that, you yeah. know? And then right after Kobe passes, in this really shocking, traumatic way for young people to recognize our own mortality, in a way that we sort of do differently for, say, rap artists, I think. Right, exactly. Then COVID hits, and we're sort of dealing with our own mortality in a different way, in a different time and space. And so what have you made up of, and I don't think that we talk about loss and grief and death, quite honestly, as Black people in sort of an open setting, the way many of us have started to do during the pandemic. Sort of what are your thoughts about what we've lost this year? And also, I guess, from what we've lost, what we've gained. So I remember it was part of a joke in Black Twitter and Black discussions about long funerals, right? Like, you know, long funerals that last Patti LaBelle's funeral, Aretha Franklin's, you know, last forever. And I went to like Dick Gregory's funeral in Maryland. And that was all day. It was all day, all night. Like he passed away 25 different ways. And we heard everything about his life. The sad part for this year is that in many of these passings, we didn't get to have the big public mourning, like you said, that we're used to, because that's also where we laugh. It's also yes. where we laugh and we joke and we cry and we hug and we see people we don't like. Bill Cosby was at Dick Gregory's funeral. I mean, like he was there, or I guess at the wake or whatever it was. Like there are some people who feel some kind of way about Bill Cosby, but he was still there because they knew each other and they were part of that same generation. It is also sort of a, it's closure yes. for a lot of different kinds of people. And I can tell you, Kobe Bryant also died on one of my best friend's birthdays, right? It was the same day. And when the news hit in the morning, I will tell you this as a very specific, as a sports fan and also somebody, Kobe is my age. We are used to, and I said this and I cried a lot that day. We are used to growing old with our sports heroes. You're supposed to see Bill Russell get old. You're going to see Wayne Gretzky get old. One day you and I are going to wake up and we're going to be in our 50s and 60s, much later than that. But one day a 93-year-old Michael Jordan is going to pass away and we're going to be like, holy crap. Like, yeah. you know, but athletes, because of just the nature of what they do and physically, they live. So Kobe Bryant dying in that way didn't just make us feel mortal. We were robbed of his second act. We were yeah. robbed of, you know, the second act of Michael Strahan's life is as a TV host and Howie Long is as a TV host. We didn't get to see what Kobe Bryant or his daughter would Or be. what about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? It's like this man's written more books than the two of us put together. Yes, yes. Right? I mean, like, you know, I remember him from different strokes. And so, like, I remember I him from Kareem Airplane as a pilot. 
Okay. Right. Like in my favorite right. scene from Airplane. Roger, over. <laughs> speak, Chad. Right. But I mean, I hear what you're saying. And I think that the process of the funeral, I think, has been most difficult. Because I went to Luther's funeral when he passed away many years ago. And what I thought was so beautiful is like Stevie Wonder performed. And when I say right. performed, I'm not going to say, oh, they sang. It's like, no, they performed, right? Yeah. yeah. This Stevie, is someone, Stevie this was, was someone different. younger right. than them that they loved. Aretha, Sissy Houston, Roberta Flack. Now, I don't know whose bright idea it was to have Patti LaBelle read scripture, but not have her on the program to sing. So she in her canary yellow dress was like, I don't know whose bright idea it was to have me on this program and not sing. So of course, Patti was like, oh, I'm gonna tear this house down oh, because course. I'm going to sing. Because Luther started my fan club when he was a child. So that was a way where I, I remember just like laying on some strange woman's, you know, bosom, boo-hoo crying because I remember the childhood memories that Luther provided. So like there's so many people who remember, you know, Wakanda, you saw these kids having funerals for their superheroes. You know, you saw young kids with their Kobe jerseys on. You know, like, listen, when Janet Dubois from Good Times, Walona passed away this yeah. year. I mean, all of us were like, not for black girls, she was our dial icon. Everybody wanted to be stylish Walona with, you know, no yeah. husband and, you know, just kicking it. And she was also like y'all's Mary Tyler Moore because you didn't yes. get to see financially independent single black women without children. You know, mm -hmm. like Mary Until Tyler she Moore, adopted Penny. But that was her choice. Right? Her like, choice. She was like, she didn't have to. And she debated as to whether she wanted that disruption because Malona had game and she had life to live. Is and, you she? know, so that was a major change and a major sort of iconic character. And I can say this, you know, I wrote in a grill about Bozeman's passing. One, Bozeman and I, similar age, Howard guy. A lot of my family came out of Howard. But I think the other thing about that and why it's so meaningful is I remember when Christopher Reeve passed. I remember when Christopher Reeve was crippled. And for those who don't mm -hmm. remember, Christopher Reeve played the original Superman from the movie, I think, in 1978 or something else like right. that. Another inappropriate Chris Rock joke, but we'll talk about that on a different episode. You know, and Christopher Reeve, you know, he was crippled in a horse accident, an equestrian accident that happened in Charlottesville, where I went to college. He actually spoke at my college graduation from his wheelchair. And, you know, for me, yeah, I was young. I was a baby, I think, when that movie came out. But obviously, as a comic book and cartoon guy, I cared. But for an older generation, for people who were teenagers who saw Christopher Reeve, the idea of Superman being being disabled yeah. messed with that generation. And I feel like if you were an eight, nine-year-old black boy or girl to see your hero die and then die of cancer is a major trauma. And I know they're going to recast him. I know that's going to happen. I'm not just speaking it into being. I know that's actually what they're going to do. But it just, it added pain to 2020 because this was somebody who, you talk about he was on his way. Chadwick Boseman was basically going to be Gen X's Danny Glover. That was a dude who basically, you know, between Marvel movies, he was going to be out protesting, which he was. He was out being political. Cancer advocacy means so many great and philanthropic things such that by the time he hit his 60s and 70s, he was going to be that guy's like, I'm going to do a movie every other year that I care right. about because the rest of the right. time I'm going to spend doing philanthropic and humanitarian work. So it was a major, major public loss and a pop culture loss. So let's transition to something a bit brighter because even though this has been a year of loss, for so many people, it's been so difficult financially, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, we haven't even talked about, you know, sort of suicide rates in the Black community, financial destruction, the recession. I will say, and I've been the champion of 2020, oftentimes the lone supporter of 2020. She has been. You don't want to see I have been. messages. 
There's a lot of And you know why, Jason? Because 2020 keeps showing us these little gems. There are so many gems. First of all, I feel like the two of us have been able to talk more. Like our schedules aren't true. as crazy, right? Like I feel like our friendship and sort of sisterhood, brotherhood has gotten yep. stronger over the years. I think some people, when we think about Black entrepreneurs, they've been able to sort of make a little coin and kind of finally do that thing that they wanted to do. Not only are we looking at a Black woman possibly rolling in as the VP elect, yeah. but there have been sort of these great moments of resilience, right? I think a lot of people have realized that, you know, you're a lot more of a phoenix than you thought, right? You can rise from these ashes and you're sort of, some people are starting relationships that they were afraid to start. Some people are getting out of relationships that they needed to some get out of, right? Some people are just engaging in perpetual shenanigans because they're not trying some to- people are just stay with shenanigans and that is okay <laughs> you know if you want to live in that gray area of life you do it i mean and so you know my famous phrase that pays is like hey y'all it's a global pandemic anything goes right and i do think that there have been so many beautiful moments to come out of this time period that we have to sort of slow down you know some of us really needed to slow down the pace that the both of us were on traveling and talking that was not a sustainable pace right i've started birding as you know so taking time for beauty and nature and a lot of people are posting a lot more interesting pictures on Twitter these days of just like taking these minuscule moments and making them into something. Folks are like learning to cook, learning a new craft, painting, sewing, whatever it may be to sort of satisfy something in their soul. And so I want to just end this segment with you. What is something that has been a beautiful gem for you during 2020? So I will say this, and I encourage everybody to do this. I have actually been keeping journals and diaries since seventh grade, like seventh grade. This is I'm going to sell new- them on eBay. <laughs> I haven't even started this one yet. And there are a few things better for one sort of mental and emotional health than being able to go back literally umpteen million years in your life and see what mattered to you in seventh grade relative to what you're dealing with today. Um, and, and as I go through time, because I also have sort of old emails and things like that, I, how I was looking at the world sort of politically and otherwise, I think I've spent more time in my own head as I had to this year, which has been helpful. I will tell you this, this is what 2020 is, I'd say, done for me professionally than personally. Professionally, this has been one of the most entertaining years I have ever had in my life. Uh, <laughs> for a hundred different like, reasons. Little roller coaster, it's, little roller coaster, but hey, you always end up on top. Oh, no, you always end up on top. That's what always ends up happening. But what it's shown me sort of professionally is a couple things. Number one, I say this to students, I say this to people all the time. It's like, look, at the end of the day, and in a time where we can't see each other, right, and build relationships the way they used to, how you treat people, how you treated people before the pandemic has a lot to do with how you'll make it through this pandemic. If you were a jerk, if you were rude, if you were selfish, if you were uncaring, you may or may not have the time to make that personal interaction to change that reputation now that we're in a pandemic. And so one of the ways that 2020, I guess, has shown us some gems is it shows you a lot about what you built before you got here, you know? And if you built up a good nest egg, if you built up sort of goodwill and kindness and faithness and everything else like that, then this is a time where you can really settle and cash those things in in a meaningful way. I think on another level, I have probably been more prolific this year Mm -hmm. because I haven't had to deal with all sorts of travel and those kinds of issues, right? Like being able to be at home and do TV and write and take care of your health has been an issue because we can't get out and exercise the way we used to, but that's also been a big one. But I will also say personally, I have not just with you, Dr. Greer, but I have made it a point to stay in touch with so many 
more people. Because I was yes. used to bopping around the country and hanging out. We talk now more, and I think that's a big part of 2020, building those relationships in a virtual way since we can't be physical. Great. And I think, you know, transitioning to our third topic, it reminds me of what, uh, I think it was LBJ who said, you know, the presidency doesn't change you, it exposes you. And I think that that's what the pandemic has done for a lot of people. It hasn't changed you. It's just showing you who you are and what you're made of. So let's recap really politically. I wish I could say that this election is fully over, but we got like two minutes to talk about. It's not fully over because guess what? We still have a president who won't concede. That's Can you true. even imagine? And so we're moving forward as though we're normal, but we're still not really normal because the president is still lawsuit after lawsuit. And here we are. The president of the United States will be Joe Biden, but we are about to embark in one of the most dangerous times in American history. Because while I think that 2020 has been probably one of the best years politically for America, America finally saw its limit of how dangerous and destructive racism can be on so many different levels. Now we've got to see if under this new administration, we're willing to do something about the roots of racism, or if we're just going to say, oh, we're glad that's over. Let's try and move forward. So this has been a wonderful year of exposure, despite the massive death and pain. It has opened up all those nasty wounds that everybody's been paying attention to. All that nonsense of like, it's time to heal. Well, finally, everybody recognizes the same problem. We can be in the healing process together. Wow. Well, we'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you all for listening to What's In It For Us. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. Fine, send some compliments to Dr. Greer, but send most of them, especially the ones with gifts to me, to podcast at thegrio.com. The What's In It For Us podcast is brought to you by The Grill and executive produced by Kevin Y. Brown and produced by Abdul Kadoos.